0: I was preparing for this message this morning and I was really struck uh, by this quote from Kent Hughes in his commentary on Ephesians. Uh, Kent Hughes wrote this and it's just something that I want us to hold on to as we think about it. not only this morning but also this entire series over 2024. Uh, so he says, Ephesians, uh, carefully, reverently, prayerfully considered will change our lives. It is not so much a question of what we will do with the epistle but what it will do with us. Uh, And as we begin this series, that's been my prayer, uh, that the book of Ephesians would righteously wreck us and bring us to that healthy place of greater reliance on Christ. That's my hope for us as we go through this series. And we've titled this series Reconciled because this is um, one of, if not the central themes within this letter. Um, And it's central in a sense that reconciliation that Paul speaks of throughout this letter, as we spoke about on Wednesday, is is vertical Uh, reconciliation with God. Paul writes to Ephesians and he speaks about what it means to be fully reconciled back to God and the impact that has on every single believer who's in Christ. And it's central in a sense that reconciliation that Paul speaks about is also horizontal. So there's vertical and there's also horizontal reconciliation. God gave his reconciliation with him in order that we might be reconciled to one another as God's family. Uh, And this has a profound impact on how we relate to one another within the church um, and what we think and what we say and what we do uh, towards those who sit beside us right now, this morning. Uh, God also gave his reconciliation with him alongside this in order that we might be an agency of reconciliation to a lost world. So as we think about the community we live in, there are so many folk who are lost, who are far from Christ. uh, And God has given us the opportunity to reconcile them back to Christ through our personal witness. Uh, And this is something that we should be tremendously excited about when it comes to the book of Ephesians. uh, As we think about how God reconciles us back to himself but also reconciles us as a church family and he also reconciles us in the sense that he can use us to connect others back to Christ or to Christ for the first time we should be excited by that what a tremendous prospect we have as God's people it's incredible enough that God has reconciled us to himself but the fact that we now have what Paul speaks about in second Corinthians five eighteen, the ministry of reconciliation what a privilege Uh, This is something that we should rejoice in and live by day to day. God in Christ has made our lives worth living because of this reconciliation. Amen. Amen. It's good news. Um, So if you love Jesus this morning, my challenge to you, when you wake up tomorrow, the first thing I invite you to do before you go on your phone, uh, before whatever it is you do first thing uh, on a Monday morning, is to say to yourself, I am reconciled. I am reconciled and just let that sink in for a moment. Let that truth become central and the fact that God has made you right with him because God loves you and God cares for you and he will never ever let you go. He will never let you go. That's worth reminding yourself first thing in the morning is it not? That's worth focusing on first thing on Monday and as you let that truth that you have been reconciled to Christ, marinate in your heart. I would also invite you to remind yourself that alongside the fact that you have been reconciled, you've been given a purpose. And so as you wake up and declare to yourself that you have been reconciled, also declare these words to yourself, I am a reconciler. I'm a reconciler. And surely the fact that we have been reconciled to be a reconciler is why God gave us our lives. This is our purpose. God has reconciled us so that we can then reconcile other people back to Christ. And the moment we take our focus off of that is a moment we will find the Christian life difficult, confusing, meaningless, overwhelming. The Apostle Paul understood this because this is exactly what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Uh, Jesus appeared to him in a vision, he fell to the ground, he was blind. And we discover why God saved Paul through the testimony of Ananias. The Lord said to Ananias, speaking of Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. In other words, I've reconciled him in order that he might be a reconciler to the Gentiles, to kings, to the Jews. One of the ways that that Paul fulfilled this missionary call from God was by spending two years in Ephesus. So Paul was writing to the Ephesians, but he had already spent two years in the city. And in Acts 19, we see how Paul lived amongst the Ephesians. He discipled the church, the, he witnessed to the city, he reasoned from the scriptures, he wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church when he was in Ephesus. And commentators will note that when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. He was most likely, probably speaking about his witness, his opportunity as he was in Ephesus. So Paul wrote in First Corinthians when he was in Ephesus. Uh, and Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians when he was probably in prison in Rome around AD 60 to 62. And we can be confident of this because in three occasions in this letter in Ephesians, Ephesians 3.1 Ephesians 4.1, Ephesians 6.20, he describes himself as being in prison. So he speaks of of his own current circumstances. So it's clear that something is going on within the life of Paul. Paul was in prison most likely. And we can be confident of this because he continues to encourage in the midst of hardship throughout this letter. And it didn't change the fact that he loved these Ephesian brothers and sisters. And Acts 19 shows us that. He had a strong relationship with these Ephesians. His two years with these Ephesian brothers and sisters meant that he and them were family. There was this bond of of love. There was a deep connection between Paul and the Ephesian church. And the Ephesian church were displaying the fruit of this personal investment. Over time, they started to see how God had used the Apostle Paul. And I say that because of of the Apostle John. And, And John shows us in Revelation chapter 2 that the Ephesian church were a faithful church. They were known for their works, for their labor, for their endurance, for their determination not to tolerate evil, for their discerning truth from false, for their perseverance. So it's an argument from silence. But I'm fairly confident that Paul's godly counsel and investment had something to do with what we see in Revelation chapter 2 in John's testimony. And I love that. I love how Paul just spent two years in Ephesus and how cool it would be if if Paul came and visited Denison for a couple of years and just said, I'm going to give you two years of my time living in East End of Glasgow, pastorally discipling us as a church family, hanging out in Tebow, sharing his faith, contending from the scriptures. And then after two years, he was off. And just the impact that would have on us as a church family. So the Ephesians were blessed by this. And Paul knew the Ephesian church. And he knew the city of Ephesus because he was there. He was present. And it's so important as we come to understand this letter, Paul was deeply familiar with this context. And Ephesus as a city was characterized, defined by two things. Economic prosperity and idolatry economic prosperity and idolatry if you go on holiday to turkey you're on the west coast of turkey you can actually visit uh, the city of ephesus it has one of the seven wonders of the world the great temple of artemis the mother goddess and patron of the city and every year the people of ephesus would pay homage to this goddess which in effect is a demon And they had this elaborate procession throughout the town. And you would be amazed at how similar this kind of thing was to other kinds of processions you might see in Glasgow today. Uh, They believed that if they honoured the goddess Artemis, then the prosperity of the city would be guaranteed through the favour of this particular goddess. And for a time, the Ephesian people believed that it worked because Ephesus was wealthy. The Ephesians were loaded. It was described as one of the, one of the most precious jewels in the empire's crown. And it was a highly cultured, highly sophist, sophisticated place to live. And as, as a people, they wrapped their identity around not only money, but around this goddess they worshipped. So there was no need for the gospel amongst the Ephesians. Why would anyone turn to Jesus in that kind of context? They had everything, did they not? Well, such is the power of the gospel, because people were getting saved in Ephesus. They had all this stuff. They worshipped Artemis, and yet people were coming to Christ. People were getting baptized in Ephesus. Churches were being planted from Ephesus. People were seeing the folly of wrapping their identity around money and around this God, this false God, and they were turning to Jesus. They were putting their faith and hope in him. And as we read in Acts 19 and verses 18 to 20, it'll be up on the screen for us. We read this, speaking of Ephesus. Many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. And I'm confident that this occurred beyond the time of Paul for many years to come. God was in the move in a city and the smell of burning magic books was testimony to what God was doing amongst these people. So if that was the spiritual condition of Ephesus and God moved mightily amongst them, what about Glasgow? Think about our city for a moment. Check the spiritual condition of this city. Uh, What is it that God could do within us, through us as a church, in one year, in five years, in ten years, in twenty years, in thirty, in fifty years? You might hear me say this, and you might carry in your heart, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but this, or yeah, but that. That might be a kind of mentality, yeah, but I can't be used by God amongst my neighbors or in my workplace. Or with my friends, or here in Deniston, or here in Glasgow because of this reason, or that reason, or these reasons. But if anyone was justified in having an excuse to not be used by God, it was the Apostle Paul. First of all, look at who he was. Paul, historically, was the anti-Christian. He was a persecutor of believers. And Paul had so much to overcome before he could reach others with the gospel. And secondly, as we read this letter to the Ephesians, look at where Paul was. Paul was in prison. So if there was anyone who could say, I can't be used by God, it would be Paul. Yet he remained faithful to fulfilling the great command. He loved God. He loved people. Having been reconciled, he sought to be a reconciler. And during his time in prison, he writes to the Ephesians. It's been described um, as the divinest, Composition of man, the book of Ephesians. I mean, there's, there's so many memorable phrases, so many memorable sentences. We can all recognize this. We can think immediately of, of a famous phrase or sentence that comes from this book. And this morning, what we're going to do is simply focus on the first two verses of this letter. And by Easter, we will have finished chapter one, which is pretty good going because there's so much for us to look at within this first chapter in the book of Ephesians. And what we see from these first two verses at first glance, uh, what you may understand, in effect, is a simple greeting from Paul to the Ephesians. But as we dig into it a little bit more, we will see there's so much theological truth to learn, and so much theological truth for us to apply to our lives. And the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 1, in verses 1 to 2. And I'm reading from the CSB, Paul says this. It's a very simple greeting, a well-known greeting from Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't know about you, but within our Christian subculture, uh we can often find ourselves uh, veering away from authenticity. I think that's a challenge constantly within church in the West. I'm not primarily speaking about Denison Baptist Church. I'm not excluding DBC from that equation either. There can be a smell, there can be a whiff, there can be a stench of being inauthentic with the wider Christian church in the West. Uh, what I mean by that is, it can be very easy for us to present ourselves on a Sunday or on social media or on WhatsApp. We can present ourselves in a particular way and all the while, something else is going on. Um, How we present ourselves can often not be reflective of what we think about others and what we think about ourselves. And in doing that, we can often be the opposite of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So we lack the genuine love for God and we lack the genuine love for other people that is so evident within this letter. And this can be true for how we present ourselves as individuals, but it can also be true for how we present ourselves as a church collectively. So we can, we can kind of present, have this facade that we are one way, but deep down we are actually another way. And when you live in that kind of fake Western culture for long enough, You start to look at what you read in scripture, or you can look at what you read in scripture through that particular lens, to the point that you might look at what Paul writes in these two verses, and you might think, Paul is using fancy religious language here, but the truth of the matter is, he's just saying hello. That's all he's doing. He's using all these kind of fancy theological terms, but in reality, he's just saying, "Alrighty." Hello, And you might even go further than that and say, he's not even meaning what he's saying here. He's just doing what people would do in ancient times. They would begin their letters as Paul begins this letter. And as we read these verses, whilst there are important elements to it that are characteristic with how people would write at the time, I just want to encourage you not to miss out on the deep theological truth that we find within this greeting. I found it a lot harder to to prepare a sermon on two verses rather than maybe 10, 15, 20. But it's been fascinating the more and more I've dug deep in these two simple sentences, the more and more I've found something of Paul's heart for the Ephesian church and something of what God wants to communicate to us today. Without question for the Apostle Paul, this was hello. He was saying hello in these first two verses, but it was more than a simple hello. And we know this for three important reasons. It become clear in the text as we dig a little deeper. And as we do this this morning, there is so much for us to then take and apply uh, to our lives. So I'm going to just give you three reasons why this was more than a simple hello. Uh, And the first reason is this. The Apostle Paul was more than just saying hello because of what he said about himself in verse 1. Let's take a moment to look at the first part of verse 1. The opening words to the church in Ephesus. We read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. There are three things I want us to see from this one line. So we're getting value for money this morning. When it comes to our exegesis. When it comes to us unpacking what God's word says. Firstly, focus on Paul's name. He's called Paul. He used to be called Saul. Who was Saul? Saul was the first ever king that God appointed to rule over his people in the Old Testament. And the truth of the matter is, Saul failed. Saul was vain. Saul was arrogant. He was a king who fell short and who paid the price for his faithlessness. But he still carried deep respect amongst the people of God, including in the time of Jesus. Why else would Paul's parents name him Saul to begin with? To be named Saul was to be associated with royalty. People named their children in ancient times out of a desire to see something virtuous come out of our lives. And Saul would have been named Saul because the aspiration from his parents would have been one of seeing him fulfill a position of authority, of stature, of influence. Something which he did, in fact, achieve as a Pharisee. But when he encounters Jesus, his life is transformed. And he's named Paul. And Paul means small. Sorry, mate. (laughs) Paul means small. So when Paul begins his letter, he essentially says, I'm Paul. And what he's saying here is, I'm insignificant. I'm nothing. Compared to Christ and apart from Christ, I am unworthy. So there's a lot going on. When Paul changes, when Paul's name is changed from Saul to Paul, there's actually a really important theological point here. He's saying, I'm nothing. I'm insignificant. Compared to him, I'm unworthy. And we know that's true because of what we read in Acts 9. On the road to Damascus, Paul didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose Paul. His grace towards him was literally irresistible. So, first thing to hold on to is Paul's name. Secondly, Paul describes himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle literally means sent one. And God had chosen twelve apostles, the twelve disciples, as a foundation for his church to flourish and grow. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 1, it should be up on the screen. Uh, Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? This is one of the characteristics of the 12, of the Twelves Apostleship. Uh, they could bear living. Testimony to the risen Jesus. They had seen the risen Jesus for themselves. The disciples could say they had seen the Lord. And so could Paul because because of his encounter on the road to Damascus. Now this apostleship was unique. And that through the power of God's spirit. Um, God was at work through these apostles to start the church. And to lead the church. As we will see later on in the book of Ephesians. And as we see at different points in the New Testament and church history, there were also those who carried apostolic qualities, apostolic gifting. And they carried this knowing that they were distinct, they were different from the original 12 apostles in Paul because they had a unique role to establish God, God's church in the world. So the apostles, the second thing I wanted to focus on in that first sentence in verses 1 to 2. And finally... I want us to look at the relationship of Paul's apostleship to Jesus because he describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. He's an apostle of Christ by God's will. The reason why Paul is an apostle is for Jesus. It's so that Christ's purpose can be fulfilled in and through Paul. Paul is an apostle who belongs to Jesus. And the reason why Paul is an apostle is because, again, Jesus chose him. He wanted him to be an apostle. He saved him and he gave him a particular purpose. And I think for all of us this morning, we all need to hold on to that. God has saved you, praise God. He has saved you. And he has worked in your life so that you have moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son that he loves. But God in Christ, he has also purposed you. He has a plan for you. And he wants to work through you so that he is glorified through you. As you fulfill your purpose, your God-given purpose. So he has saved Paul and purposed Paul. And he has saved every single one of us. If we have faith in Christ today. And he has purposed every single one of us. So Paul is communicating all of that in his first sentence in the book of Ephesians. And it leaves me asking a question this morning. When was the last time you said hello like that? Um, Not that we should say hello like that, by the way, but maybe it depends on our context. But I want us to understand this is way more than just, all right, how's things? Paul is packing a lot in this first sentence to really help the Ephesians understand and to help us understand something of what God is doing in his life and how that can encourage the believers in Ephesus. And this brings us... On to the second reason why this is more than just hello. It's because of what he said about Ephesians. And let's have a look at the second part of verse one. Uh, Paul writes to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. So how does he describe these Ephesians? He describes them as, as what? As faithful and as saints. So the term saints simply means. Holy one, set apart, consecrated by God. And it would have been blasphemous for the Jews of Paul's day to hear the term saint applied to pagan men and women in the church in Ephesus. This would have been utterly outrageous for them. But by the grace of God, these men and women in Ephesus, they are saints. They are saints. Not by any other measure, not performance, not position. Not people group. By the grace of God, they were saints. Because of the grace of God, and by the grace of God, we are saints. We are saints because of His grace. It's our primary identity. Our primary identity in the Christian life is one of saint. Paul consistently communicates us to every, almost every church that he writes to, to the saints, to the saints. To the saints. And it's, it's the identity that we must live our lives from. Day after day. You will not break free from habitual sin. That habitual sin that you constantly find yourself going back to again and again and again. Until you realize who you are in Christ. And what it is that Christ has given you. And what you can do for Christ as you live in Christ. And as you are are empowered by Christ, day after day. Now, this doesn't remove the fact that we're sinners. We are sinners. We fall short in various ways. That's absolutely true. But when it comes to living for Christ, we rest in our position as saints. It's our primary identity. Because Paul constantly, consistently rests in that position for himself and to the churches that he writes to. So, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old sinful way, sinful life is gone. The new way has come. You're a saint, Denison Baptist Church. We are saints collectively. Amen. Amen. And as Paul says here, these Ephesians were a collection of saints who were in Christ Jesus. And it was only because they were in Christ Jesus that they could designate themselves as saints. I think sometimes we get a wee bit nervous about the word saint. Because we think it's down to me. Or we, we think that we're being prideful in some way. But it's nothing to do with us. We're designated saints because of Christ. Not because of us. And Paul here describes them as a particular type of saint. He says a faithful saints, To the faithful saints. And that term faithful simply means a people who were active in their faith. A people who believed in their faith. They put into practice what they said was true. So they they verbalized something and then they lived it out day after day. The city of Ephesus could look at them and say with confidence, these guys follow through with what they say. They are consistent with their words and their actions. It wasn't just a collection of ideas that they had about themselves because of Jesus. These ideas were reflected in the lives they lived in the city they found themselves in. A city marked by money and idolatry. And the final, thing, the final thing to mention from what Paul says about these Ephesians. Is that he reminds them of where they are. To the faithful saints in Christ Jesus. At Ephesus. This is where they are. You don't need to know that but he does remind them of that. They are at Ephesus. Paul wants them to understand this is your mission field. This is where you've been called to. The people you live amongst are the people you have been called to day after day. And as God used believers in their lives to bring them to a knowledge of Christ, God will also use them to bring others to a knowledge of him as very main faithful saints in the city of Ephesus. The power of presence. The power of presence. You know, how do we expect non-believers to come to saving faith in Christ if we're not with them day after day, if we're not spending time with non-believers, if we're not going to the places that non-believers are at. Now often, that's the natural places that you find yourself spending time with when it comes to engaging and connecting with non-believers. Your neighborhood, your work, social circles, family, community spaces, But on other occasions, it's something that God is leading you towards. Maybe it's something or somewhere that God is calling you to, a particular people group or area. And I'm already aware of of examples within the life of this church where God is doing that, in Denison, in Ridley and beyond. There are people in this church who are connecting with this community in various ways. And perhaps this morning you're asking a question, how can I be more effective when it comes to being amongst non-believers, and do speak to me after a time. I would love to chat with you because there's so many options for you. There's so many opportunities for us to connect with non-believers, both in Deniston and Riddery and even beyond. So there's tremendous opportunity. There's great opportunity in Ephesus and there's great opportunity here because there's so many people who are far from Christ. As the Apostle Paul addresses these believers, as a faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, I wonder, what would you put after that act? And who is it that God is calling you to today? Where is the place? Who are the people that God is calling you to? So again, let me ask the question this morning. When was the last time you said hello like that? What a challenge. What a challenge. I don't think any of us say hello like that. I recognize that. And that's because Paul is speaking to this church and it's God's word speaking to us. Finally, we know this is more than just a simple hello from Paul uh, because of what he says about God. Uh, And I want us to look at what it is the Apostle Paul says in verse 2 of our passage. We read this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does Paul tell us about God here in this passage? Well, he tells us that God is three persons and one God. Because the grace and peace that we have in the Christian life comes from God the Father, through God the Son, and through God the Spirit dwelling within us, making that a reality day after day. And we see how important this was to Paul. Paul uses this exact phrase in seven other places in the New Testament. So verse 2 can be found in seven other locations in the New Testament. Romans 1.7 1 Corinthians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1.2, Galatians 1.3, Philippians 1.2, 2 2 Thessalonians 1.2, and Philemon 3. Now, the Greeks would often begin a letter with the word greetings. And the Jews would often begin a letter with the word peace. So when Paul uses grace and peace in his letter, grace is another form of greeting. What Paul is doing is here is combining the two, and he's communicating that God has opened the door for both Greek and Jew to be made right with him. It's fascinating. And Paul's point from the very beginning of his letter is that God has chosen to bless every single person with grace and peace. Every one of us. It doesn't matter what nationality we are, it doesn't matter our social status, it doesn't matter our life circumstance. God has chosen to bless. Everyone with grace and peace, if we choose to respond to him. And it's something that he wanted to do because he loves us and he cares for us. And he demonstrates that by dying on the cross for us. It's not something that we could have achieved for ourselves. That word grace literally means undeserved merit. God showed us his favor. God's grace is what marks Denison Baptist Church. It's what defines us as followers of Jesus. We couldn't have came up with this for ourselves. None of us wanted to pursue a relationship with God. God chose us for us. And we need to understand this morning that the order is also important. Uh, we cannot experience the peace of God until we first come to terms with the grace of God. So it's not peace and grace. It's never peace then grace. It's always grace then peace. The grace of God paves the way for the peace of God. And God the Father and God the Son are the source of this grace and peace. A grace and peace that's experienced by God the Spirit. The Trinity Trinity is at work in this whole equation of grace and peace. And that's your testimony, is it not? Is that your testimony? That's our testimony. The grace of God in your life, it brought you to that place where from your heart you cried out, Jesus is Lord. God's grace caused you to confess Christ is Lord. And what followed from that grace was an experience, the peace of God in your life, a peace that surpassed all understanding, a peace that can often remain consistent whilst our lives are inconsistent, a peace which helps us in the midst of some really difficult moments. That's our testimony, grace and peace, grace and peace. And for many of us, that moment of grace was perhaps a long time ago. Maybe we're, we're struggling to remember precisely what it felt like to come to, to faith in Christ. That the peace of God is testimony that the grace of God was a reality. But yes, there was this moment where, where God worked in our life and changed us and transformed us that the two are connected. Our peace that we experience today is an reminder that God's grace was and is sufficient for us. Uh, a few weeks ago, I heard a testimony of, of a lady called Ayan Anheerse Ali. Um, you may have, have heard of this story, but she was one of the most well-known and well-respected uh, atheist intellectuals of her day. She's good friends with, with Richard Dawkins. And she published an article in Unheard, in November, explaining why she was no longer an atheist and why she was now a Christian. Uh, she gave a, a verbal testimony of how as she was brought to that place where she knew firsthand the grace of God, then the peace of God that she experienced day after day. And it began during a, during a time in her life when she was, she was filled with so much dread and fear and worry. She was overwhelmed constantly by these negative emotions, and she couldn't, she didn't have any answer. She couldn't explain why this was happening to her. There was nothing bad going on in her life, but yet she still experienced this lack of peace. Uh, she felt like she was having a breakdown. Uh, and so she hired the very best therapists and doctors to help her overcome this because she didn't have any explanation for what was going on. And none of them seemed to help. And none of them seemed to have any answers as to what was going on. And it all came to a head when she spoke with one of our therapists. And as they asked question after question, she was given answer after answer. Nothing was shifting. The fear, the anxiety, the dread was refusing to move in her heart and in her mind. And the therapist, who wasn't a Christian, interestingly, responded by saying, it sounds to me like you're spiritually bankrupt. And the therapist then asked her, describe to me what your experience with religion has been like and tell me how it is you understand God. And Ayan, who grew up as a Muslim, uh, went on to describe to this therapist how it is that she had understood God. And she went on to describe how the God she knew hated women Uh, The God she knew was an oppressor, was vengeful, uh, was by definition darkness. He demanded reverence uh, and rule keeping at all costs. And if the, the rules weren't kept, punishment followed. And the therapist listened to this and then asked her, if you were to make a God of your imagination, tell me what they would look like. And so she started to describe to her therapist all the things that she would like God to be if God did actually exist. And the more and more she described this God to this therapist, the more and more she realized she was describing Jesus. And that moment started something. It started something in Ion's life. And it led to the grace of God being at work in her life. And God started to to shower his love upon her. And what followed from that that moment of grace was peace. Deep, deep peace. The fear, the worry, the anxiety, the dread, the confusion. All of it went, all of it disappeared. Because she knew who she was. She knew who she belonged to. She worshipped Jesus and that made all the difference. It began with grace, it led to peace. And Ian's testimony is no different to any one of our testimonies. We have all moved from darkness to light. Amen. And this morning I just want to invite you, if you haven't done that, if you haven't made a decision to receive Jesus, what it is we've spoken about in these first two verses in Ephesians, You can do that. You can receive his grace. You can experience his peace. Do that today. Trust in him. And if you would like prayer for that, then do speak with myself or TJ or with someone you know who is here today who loves the Lord. And we would love to chat with you and talk with you about what it means to follow him. This morning... We're now going to move into. We're going to move into a moment of response, and let me just say, if, if you would like prayer for anything that's going on in your life, I've spoken a, for a short time there about worry and dread and anxiety and fear, and I recognise that Maybe that's an unspoken reality in your life. Maybe you're you're going through something right now that, that you just find difficult to shift, and you don't know what to do about that. Then again, do speak to us. This is a space where you can be prayed for. Uh, this time so as we have tea and coffee we can pray for you whether it be here or somewhere else in this building I know it's not a big building but it may be for healing it may be a situation you're in the middle of it may be a decision you have to make do speak with us we want to pray for you Uh, this morning we're also going to respond by coming to the table because this table represents why as we have grace and peace we come to this table recognizing That there but for the grace of God, we can come and we can take this bread and we can drink this cup. And as we do so, we can recognize that Jesus is Lord of our lives. This table is for anyone who professes faith in him. And for anyone who's not sure, for anyone who's still on a journey of faith, eh, we would invite you not to come to the table, but just to observe and to pray and ask that God would just continue to, to work in your life. It was on the night in which he was betrayed. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So this Sunday, we take this bread and we drink this cup. And we say, thank you, Jesus, that that I've been welcomed into your family. I'm reconciled. Thank you, Lord. The brothers and sisters who sit beside me have been reconciled. And today we rejoice that we are one with Christ and one with one another. Praise God for that. So let's pray. We're going to respond now in worship. (laughs) Father, we, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we have thought about these first two verses, that you would continue to work in and through us. Lord, help us just to to have this reality of grace and peace continue on, not just today, but throughout this week. Lord, I pray that we would remember that moment where we did confess you as Lord. And as we remember that moment, and as we remember what you've done for us, it would cultivate a life of peace, a life that results in us being able to also share that peace with those who are perhaps lacking peace and who are far from you. So we ask that you bless us now. As we respond and worship go before us Lord help us to know you and help us to see you help us to respond in faith in Jesus name amen